I want to read to you from 1 Peter before we jump in, just right at the beginning, so that it's sort of simmering with you. So 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4 is what we're going to look at today. So if you will read along with me. You got that there, Chris? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We're in this nine-week series on 1 Peter, and every time we approach 1 Peter 1, and that's all we're going to cover, but when we walk up to this passage, to this letter from Peter, we always need to remember the context so that we can take it in correctly and hear his words in the way that they were meant to be heard. Remember, the people in 1 Peter have been exiled. They've been moved out of their nation. They've been moved out of their comfort, and they're in a place several hundred miles away from their homes or original homes there. And they're there, and they're confused because the troubles that sent them away, that caused them to move, are still impending upon them. They're not free of those things. And so Peter is writing to encourage them. And if you look ahead, in just a few verses ahead, he'll, he'll say that a, a furnace of trials is coming. So it's going to get worse. You're exiled, but it's going to get worse. And we'll get there next week or the week after. But he also says, when he introduces himself to them at the beginning, that you all are elect. And God has chosen you, not only to be his children, but to walk through this. And even in those very difficult situations, his message to them, and this is a theme that's going to resonate throughout the whole first chapter and even the whole book, the fullest peace from God is available to you. No matter what your scenario, whatever your situation, the fullest peace of God is available to you. And now, we've, that's what we talked about the first two weeks. That's the introduction to the book. That's when he greets the people he's writing. But now we're going to step into the meat or the body of the book. And really, he keeps the same theme going in 3 through 4. And here's what I want you to hear today. I think this is what he is trying to say to them. He's reiterating the message of peace again, but in a different way. In spite of any troubles that you face... Anything that you deal with, in spite of that, there is profound security in God. That's the message of these two verses. There is profound security in God regardless of your circumstances. So before we dig in, let me just, I want to give you three little ideas that will help set the context for this in particular What do I mean by security? Security is that place of... You remember the story of the the man who builds his house on sand and the one who builds his house on the word of God, on the rock of God. I think that's a pretty good, for me, visual of the difference that there is a security that is unchanging, unmovable, and is beneath us and below us and all around us in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is security. No matter what things come, he's going to say that that security is unshakable, 
It's guaranteed by God. It is unmovable, undefilable. It will always be. That's this security that I'm talking about. But there's something about the way that Peter writes this, this, the way he couches his story, the setting of his argument to encourage us to know that there is this security. And his, his setting is this, it's one of family. It's one of saying that, it's, it's one where he introduces his argument by saying we have a good father. He says, blessed be the name of God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he sets this up. So the reason I bring that up is I want to encourage you to step back just for a second. And I want, we all have different ideas about what a father is. Some of us have fa- fabulous parents, fabulous fathers. And that's great. I want you to set that aside. Some of us have fathers that uh, were not fabulous I want you to set that aside. And I'm going to do the same thing. Some of us are in situations with our parents or our fathers that are confusing and we don't understand, that aren't our fault. I want you to try to set that aside. What what I'm asking you to do is kind of take the jar of your definition and experience of what a father is and unscrew it. For some of you, it's not going to smell very good. Some of you, it's a great thing. And I want you just to, for a second, dump it out. Clean it out and set it back. And we're going to look at a different kind of father, the father. And the more time I've spent with this passage and Peter's argument, it is amazing the way he accesses the natural things that we understand about family, the right and good things that we understand about family, because they're put in us by God. Maybe you'll see that as we... Is this unfolds a little bit. So take that definition and shake it out. Let's just take a deep breath concerning the old and let's talk about what this idea of father is with God and family with him. And another thing, this is the third thing, just to prepare us to look into the, the meat of this passage. He's, Peter's writing to some pretty specific people. And we have a lot in common with them. We are exiles from our society because of our faith. We haven't possibly been persecuted to the level that they have. But this truth in this familial relationship that he's going to describe right here is absolutely true for all of us, regardless of the beauty and peace of our lives or the turmoil. No matter how rocky it is, the struggles that we face, our anger at God, it doesn't matter, all of those things in this context, in this message, are applicable to all of us. So it's a timeless message. You know, like, it happens here a lot. Where I came from, it didn't happen very often, but in the cold times of year, Christmas time, you drive by, and you're driving by home, and you see they have big windows, and it's all snowy outside, and you're cold, and inside, you see a family gathered there, and they're maybe eating together, or... And you resist your urge to keep looking. (laughs) I really think that Peter is in some ways inviting us from inside that room, that warm place by the fire with the true father, the true God, the right God. And perhaps if you're a a non-believer, you haven't crossed that line of faith into relationship with God through Jesus yet, we're, we're looking in and saying, okay, 
what is this all about? What does this look like? But there are also those of us who are believers who have, regardless of the fact that we were designed and made and called into that space, have, are living like we're outside of it, not experiencing the fatherhood of God because of broken relationships, lack of hope, things that have happened in life, circumstances that we cannot control, cause us to drift. So let me, let me, having said those three things, let me read the passage again. And remember, the point is this, that God provides profound security to those that are in a relationship with him. Okay, so 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So I want to bring four points out of this. We're just going to hit them really quick, but they're all really important, and they're all revealed in this one tiny little section of Scripture. Peter's just packing it in, y'all. He's just shoving the, the information in. We have profound security, First reason that he gives is because of God's mercy. That's the first reason. We have security because of God's mercy. We have security because of our rebirth. We have security because of a living hope that he has given us. And because of our inheritance. An inheritance that has been given to us. So let me say that again. These are the four points that we're going to hit. And I want you to stick them in there under that idea of security. It's possible. It's made available because of his mercy. It's confirmed in our rebirth, a living hope that we have and an inheritance that we have. So let's talk about his mercy for a moment. Right there in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. His great mercy. He's caused us to be born again. The key phrase right here is his great mercy. As humans... As individuals, we have this. We have one, at least one monster flaw. And that is that we marginalize the incredible destructive power of sin. We just do that all the time. We say, well, sin's bad. But we don't grasp the magnitude of it. And we rationalize, we, in our own lives, or just the fact that we have inherited sin from Adam, it's part of our nature, we, we say, well, you know, but we're, we're basically good, we're okay. You know, we, we just don't see sin for what it is. But here's the problem with that. When we, when we if you don't have, say this the right way, Mercy is best and really only understood in the context of a wrong that has been committed. And if you're not aware of the wrong, you can't be aware of the mercy that's been delivered. Now, I'm not saying we need to wallow around in misery because of our sin. I'm not suggesting that. But there is a sense in which we need to understand and remember the incredible magnitude of sin that broke this relationship with God so that we can 
get some tiny glimpse of his mercy. Tim, Tim Keller says it like this. He says, when we get to heaven, when we, when we cross over that threshold and we're with God and we experience him, we are going to be overwhelmed, just blown away by the extent of his mercy that we did not realize. And I, I love the, I can't say it anywhere near like he said it, but the way he unfolded that resonated with me because I, I said, I'm, acutely aware of how I just blow off sin and I don't get it. But I know that um, regardless of that, his mercy is so great that he, he overcomes my lack of understanding of what he did for me. And when we are there and we look back and we understand what he has done, we are going to be shocked. We're going to be blown away by the incredible mercy. When I was a kid... My parents had this, on the front of our house, were these two beveled glass windows. They're the only nice thing on the front of our house. And I was probably seven or eight or something. And at this time of year, there would be um, locusts that would come to town. Big, huge grasshoppers, like five inches long. They're really disgusting. And they deserve to die, <laughs> especially if you're seven. So... You might see where this story is going, but I'm outside in the front yard and in comes this, and they click when they fly. They make a horrible sound and they always get real close to you. And this bug flew over and landed on the house and it's like, "Mm, I will now kill you. So I found this big dirt clod and and I wound up as only, you know, seven or eight year old can and I launched at that thing and you know, in the movies when things go into slow motion, this is exactly what happened in my mind. Because when I let it go, then I could see the trajectory because, you know, where the thing landed was on the window. And I didn't think about that. And so, and it's in the front of the house. And so, I mean, as soon as I let it go, the little, the, the locust goes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm thinking all in the space of like these three seconds, should I run? Or should I, what am I going to do? Because my mom's going to come out here. And the thing went through the window, shattered it, and I watched it roll into the living room in front of the TV set where my dad's sitting. But I learned something from that. I decided not to run. But my parents, they, they did come outside. But I, I just knew I was going to get in the most trouble ever. I was going to pay for that thing. But, but instead, I said I was sorry right there, and they instantly forgave me. They didn't make me pay for it, and they just let it go. And just that little thing, back when I was a little child, gave me this tiny little glimpse of mercy. They knew I couldn't pay for the window. I could work for a year for quarters, and I would never pay for that window. And they took care of it, and they let it go. I never did it again. But there was this teaching moment there from my parents about what God's mercy looks like. Just a, this little tiny window, this little tiny glimpse into what, well, it was a window that I broke, but it was a little glimpse into the way God shows mercy on us. 
I knew, I knew at that moment what I deserved, but that's not what I was given. They paid, they forgave. So we have this security in God, this amazing, sublime security. But it is started, and it is started by God's mercy. It is his character quality that makes that possible. That's the engine behind That's the thing that starts the fact that we receive that mercy. It's part of who he is. So that's the first point. The second point is this. We have that security because of a rebirth, a spiritual rebirth. First Peter verse 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his mercy, caused us, he caused us to be born again. Because of his mercy, he caused us to be born again. Last week, we talked about the idea that the Spirit is the one who adopts us. It's his role, his part, as Peter describes it, to bring us into the family of God through adoption. And in uh, Ephesians, we saw that, that idea as well, that even though we were sinners, God brought us in and adopted us into his family, gave us his last name, legally said, you are mine. But he, this is really cool. He takes it one step further here. And he says, he caused us to be born again. Being born into God's family is a, st- is a radical step beyond being adopted into his family. Do you see what I mean? He's trying to emphasize this concept of security to them. You're adopted in. All of that is sealed by the spirit, by the blood of Christ, he says in the first two verses. And now he says, you're born again. And he's picking up on something that Jesus said. Remember another person came to him earlier in the scripture and said, hey, how do I become a part of this? How do I follow you? He said, you will. You got to be born again. And he was like, how do I do that? Well, this is not a physical rebirth, but a spiritual rebirth into God's family. So there's this dual aspect of our familial relationship with his good father. He adopted us, but he also has caused us to be reborn into that family. And, and here's the, the clincher about it. He caused it. When God causes something, when he makes it happen, what can you do to overcome that? This is, every part of this passage, Peter has carefully crafted so that we will see the security that we have. Because when you go through tough times, there is nothing like knowing that you have incredible security in someone who absolutely loves you so much. And we're not going to talk about how he proved that as much today, but he caused us. You can't... This, this is a principle that I have to remind myself of often. You and I cannot out Christ's blood, God's power to hold you in his grasp and keep you inside of his family. You cannot do that. You could not do it before you became a believer at the point of becoming a believer or after in the future. You cannot out his ability to forgive you. Is somehow your sin or my sin greater than what Christ's blood can forgive? To invalidate the relationship that we have with him in his family? I just, Peter's showing us, you are sealed in this family with a good father who has chosen you and pulled you in. So we have this profound security. It's because of his mercy. It's because we have been reborn into his family in addition to being adopted. And two more points. 
One is that we have, the third one is that we have a living hope. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hope is something that is critical to us as, believe, as human beings. If you, we all know, you'll say, well, he's lost hope. She's lost hope. But when we have hope, things are different. Is that correct? In this case, not only does God give us this hope, but it's a living hope. It's not a hope that is... Well, let, me, let me ask you. Let me ask you to interact with me for just a second. What does he mean? What does Peter mean by a living hope? What does he mean by living? What is it if it's living? Okay. Okay, it's active. What else? Don't be shy. What does it mean if you have a living, something that's living? Okay, very tangible. Okay. Yeah, it's, 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 he's speaking to something that's ongoing. Give me a couple more. Living hope. Think about it. Okay. Yeah, another confirmation of that security. It is living, and by his, his call for it to live. Excellent, yeah. I think of it as being dynamic. It's not something that's always the same. It's moving with the situations that we find ourselves in, like a relationship. It's living. Unending. Cannot, it cannot be ceased. But here is the confirmation about that living hope. It's confirmed, he says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now think, think about this for just a second. He's actually, I think, he, I think he has another double meaning here. Jesus was resurrected to new life. It's the, it's the ultimate proof of what he did for us. And he's talking about this new life, this rebirth for us, into a relationship with God that is unending. Do you see the parallels there? I mean, we're not Jesus by any means, but the the parallel is the same. It's just that his sacrifice and resurrection is what makes possible our life. And so when we cross over that line into faith, it's similar to how he has crossed over that line to be resurrected. But it, it is because of his sacrifice that we are able to know this living hope. And again, Our adoption, our birth is caused by God and the security of that. That is secure, that is security, but then this hope, this living hope is affirmed and made possible by Jesus Christ's sacrifice and resurrection. Pretty cool how Peter's making these layers to help us understand what he's talking about. So we have his mercy, we have our rebirth, we have this living hope that gives us security, and finally, we have an irrevocable inheritance, an irrevocable inheritance. He says, he's caused us to be born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Three big words there to describe this inheritance. So, again, you have this family idea. You have inheritance within a family, right? But this is, this is an inheritance that is in the future. So the living hope is current. It's what's going on. 
Just like Adelaide said, it's this, it's this thing that's happening right now, and, it, and it's, the next step is to look forward to this inheritance that will be ours. And then again, he refers to this, he, he backs it up by saying something about God's power to enforce it. He, said that, he says that this inheritance, imperishable, unchangeable, forever, is kept in heaven by God. It's kept in heaven. It's preserved in heaven. In other words, God is watching over it. He is the guardian of that thing. Do you see all these continuous efforts of Peter to encourage these people of their security in him? No matter what the scenario is that they're facing. I was reading in the paper the other day about a couple from California who were taking a walk on their land. I don't know if you all read about this. And they stopped under a tree. I don't know how much land they had, but it was enough because they sat down and they saw these two old rusty uh, buckets, kind of cans, kind of buried up in the roots. They're just sticking up a little bit. And they thought, well, let's check that out. So they get a you know, stick and dig them out. Inside are, is $10 million worth of gold. And it's in these coins that were basically in perfect condition. So they had more, it had more value than actually the, the coins themselves. And I have to confess, when I read that, I thought, dang, I'm going for a walk. <laughs> I thought, man, what a score. Because basically they're taken care of. They don't have to pay taxes. It's not like the lottery. They just get the money. It's theirs. Right? <laughs> and... And so I thought, man, that, that's amazing. They can provide for generations. For genera- for, they can do anything they really would want to do with that. And God, I don't, however you want to look at it, but they're, they're taken care of through this, this thing that they found. That is security in the world's things. And I caught myself and I thought, yeah, that'd be great. But that security is going to fade. It will go away. I will leave it behind. It will not be with me when I cross over and understand the incredible mercy of God. And the real security that I need, the real security that he has given me is in this family of his. It's not about those things that we think that we want. So we have... God's mercy, we have this rebirth, we have a living hope, and we have an inheritance in the future, this incredible provision of God for our permanent forever with him, this inheritance to hope for, to confirm the security that we have. Let me, let me close with this idea. If you look back through these two tiny verses, you see all of these things that God does. But if you look for a reference to us, there are two words. There's the word, uh, two pronouns, us and you. There's very little said, well, there's nothing said about what our role in this is, in those two verses. All of these things are done because of his mercy. It's what he did for us. There is no work that we can do along the way to earn that thing. 
You can't be good enough. You can't be bad enough. You can't break it or fake it. Our only role is to believe. That is the only thing. And if you are someone who has not come to the point of crossing that line of faith, trusting Jesus Christ to to redeem you and bring you into that relationship with God, I want to encourage you to look carefully into that window and, and see what it is that God has provided in the true family that he offers. And if you are a believer and you're outside the window, you remember the story of the prodigal son. You know, he thought he was outside, but his real relationship with his father had not changed, regardless of what he had done. And so I want to encourage you to step back into the living room and get around the fire with God again. He has called all of us, all of us, into his presence. And the question is, will you decide to enter into that place? I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to have communion. And I hope you'll be able to just take a moment and, and consider that space that God's calling us into as you have a few moments of silence with him. So let me go to the Lord and then Al will lead us. God, we come to you. We know that you are good. God, we are so damaged by life and by sin that we don't even really recognize it. And we think we understand what a good father is, what a good relationship with people looks like. But God, you show us what that is. And, and I thank you for your incredible mercy. Let us have a glimpse of it even today as we walk outside, as we, as we even face some of the hardships that we're facing, God. Let us step back and recognize that you are the one who gives us security, not money, things, relationships, nothing else but you. And God, I pray we would just revel in that and enjoy that truth for a few moments as Al leads us now. Jesus' name, amen.